special feedback episode number 15. Actually, no, that's a lie. <laughs> you dirty, rotten liar. Mm. <laughs> Metamore City, season two. A podcast series written and performed by Chris Lester. For show notes and author contact information, please visit metamorecity.com. Hey there, ladies and gents. Welcome back to the Metamore City Feedback Show. I am here, as usual, at Artistic Whispers Studios, along with the inestimable J. Daniel Sawyer. I'm, I'm a little worried about what you're shy about estimating. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, hello. And the lovely Ooh. and talented Genevieve Seven. Oh, thank you. And we are here with feedback on the wrap-up of Season 1, on Whispers in the Wood, and also on the Erotica a la carte story, Tears Such as Angels Weep. Ooh. And a reminder, if you're new to our feedback shows and you have children in the room, that's Eve. fine, <laughs> as long as you don't mind them asking you questions even more interesting than children ask their parents after the Lewinsky scandal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do not censor ourselves here, so... Oh, score. <laughs> if you have not heard any of the stories up through the end of Whispers in the Wood, stop, go back, turn around, flee now, or forever hold your peace. Or, unless you like spoilers, like Gail Carriker does. Or Forever Fall to Pieces, that's one too. Oh Ooh. yeah, that's a whole other thing. Alright, <laughs> let's go ahead and get started with first email from Dan. Message for you, son. From Martin. Hi, Chris. I guess you can see I'm late to the game, but after having had all of Metamore City sit on my hard disk for quite a while, I got around to start listening to it, and now I'm going through the episodes at an alarming rate. To put it short, stupid move on my part not to listen to your work earlier, I'm just listening to episode 19, and while I liked all the stuff so far, I love the episodes with Daniel slash Danny best. Mm -hmm. I find that very fascinating and realistic. Okay, I'm a male, and that's probably not very well posed to judge half of it. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how I picked up on your work, apart from several technology-related podcasts I've been listening to serialized novels for about three years now, including the works of J.C. Hutchins, Scott, Sigl Scott Sigler, Mer Lafferty, Nathan Lowell, T. Morris, Seth Harwood, and a few others. Why am I not on that list? You evil, evil man. <laughs> yes, go to jdsawyer.net right now. And of course, much of the good stuff by Pitt Ballantyne. Shit, if you listen to the J.D. Sawyer podcast, you hear all the rest of those people almost. <laughs> and I think my promos have played on all of those. Yeah. <laughs> I must have listened, not closely enough it seems, to a promo or personal recommendation by the author of any of these shows. Anyway, on Metamore City, great story, well thought out, thorough, great presentation, superb audio quality. I also like both the short stories at the beginning and now the more full-fledged Making the Cut novel. I'm very excited about what's waiting for me down the line, and I'm looking forward to listening and to enjoying more of your great work. Best wishes, Martin, from Germany. Wow. Aww. Cute. And Martin accompanied that with a very generous donation to the PayPal tip jar, which you can find at metamorcity.com. <laughs> Ding! Thank you very much, Martin, for your kind words and your support. You are not only helping to warm the cockles of my heart, you are keeping the podcast running and keeping me in food. And for that, I am very grateful. Ooh. ooh. Oh, crap. I have to read one. Okay. <laughs> what, you thought you were just going to get to come on here and snark? Yes, of course. <laughs> okay, this one is from Patty Keeney Pillow. Dear Uncle Lester, et al. <laughs> my, have I been remiss in my communications. I know, I know, you've all missed me. To prepare for this email, I decided to remain sober. <laughs> <laughs> what an unusual... What oh, is she Patty? the one who leaves the drunk rambling? Yes, oh, that's, that's so cool. Yay! Oh, she goes, but I watched A Scanner Darkly, read The Dream Quest of Unknown K-Death, and listened to some Hearts of Space, just to make sure no one felt like I was slacking. <laughs> <laughs> All of those things will definitely warp your perception of reality, at yes. least as much as alcohol. Mm. Though other than the small black spectral cat and the annoying purple smell I can't pin down, I don't think any of that has had any real effect on me. <laughs> Now, before I go any further, I have an announcement I want you to read for my fellow metamorphs. I have not forgotten my duties. 
the Artax slash Brian fan slash yes is still being written and will hopefully get done by the end of January. Oh, I hope so too. <laughs> I want to read that. <laughs> I am pleased to say that it is an excellent example of the fan slash genre, i.e. a story that proudly exhibits why, uh, why the author didn't write up the story himself. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yes. This particular story is the... Uh, that special shade of wrong that makes it hard for even me to read it all the way through. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> now we need only wait and see if Uncle Lester shall be brave enough to record and podcast it. I would not mind being a part of that. <laughs> Support the fanfiction community. Yay. Well, we have already got... He has already narrated the Erotica a la carte episode, and I've got him having sex on Down From Ten. Nice. Uh -huh. In a, in a scene which has caused several people to complain about veering off the road. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was a hot scene. Even though you can't see it, I will I mean, flail. I'm not going to say much about my performance, but <laughs> the way that you mix that together was hot. <laughs> oh, and she, she adds a, an evil laugh. <laughs> and so forth. <laughs> Enough announcement. Now for some patty feedback. Seriously in love with Whispers in the Wood. Yay! I still think you should have gone with an instrument that already has a reputation for driving people mad and eating their souls, <laughs> the oboe. <laughs> but the story still rocked. Also liked the all-too-brief foray into Metamore's past. Or maybe I should say past but still future of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Wondering if any of what we saw in the patronage system will play a role in Metamore politics, a la Rome, or if it's more akin to our modern system. Or if it will ever come up again. Mm. I don't have any current plans for that um, patron of the arts thing to come up again. Um, other than as a brief tangential thing in the story The Cuckoo, which appears later this season. The nobility continue to have a major role in the culture and politics of Metamore. Uh, which we will see more of in the novel Things Unseen. Score. Okay. Enough patty feedback. Now for some general discussion. Mmm, delicious purple smell. Something I've long admired about Metamore is the ability to seamlessly blend a sense of mythopoetic reason alongside logical and scientific pursuits. <laughs> or to use easier words, the ability to keep magic and wonder alive while still being able to analyze things scientifically. I realize for the world it's sort of impossible to stop doing that, but it sets up an interesting idea for the real, for the real world. The Western and Near East have shown a tendency to vacillate wildly between the two points without really coming to a happy medium. There's either a wonder for the unknown and a respect for the unknowable, or a rationalization of the world at the expense of the mysteries of it. Granted, each swing of the pendulum carries its far shape of the people still clinging to the other side, but the overall trend doesn't seem to be coming to a middle ground anytime soon. From an artistic or religious standpoint, the current age can be a little tenuous. People don't want awe or wonder. They don't want to believe that there are things that don't need to be explained. For the Dark Age scientists living in southern France, life would also be pretty tenuous. For who but the dark-souled heretic would dare to explain the mysteries of God? Ooh. ooh. Oh, boy. <laughs> you opened a can of worms. Ooh. Mm -hmm. But it's your show, so. Yeah. Um... I think that we have been in a rationalist, heavy time period, but I think that we're swinging away from that hmm. with a mixture of positive and very negative effects. Particularly in the United States, I see a lot of openness to what the skeptic community likes to call woo-woo. Things that don't really have much in the way of logical substance or, hmm. or evidential underpinnings. Astrology being one of the oldest and most long-tolerated examples of this, but nowadays we've got psychic hotlines, we've got the secret, we've mm. got... Oh, pick your poison, really. It's, it's called bullshit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's called bullshit when it's benign, and it's called a con when it's deliberate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the history of occultism is a dear hobby of mine. And Yay! Oh, boy! Ooh. Wait, well, I please. About the secret. I know, right? <laughs> the secret is a regurgitation of the New Thought Movement bullshit that came out of the early 1900s, which is itself a plagiarism on Rosicrucianism, which is a plagiarism on Freemasonry, and there was a big legal fight in the early 19th century about that. 
<laughs> There's a, a set of five or six basic ideas that keep circulating around, and people write bestsellers based on them because they make people feel good, but they have absolutely no foundation in reality. And I'm not talking about it's a spiritual thing, therefore we can't rationally justify it. I'm talking about we know that it's false. <laughs> There is a difference between a mystery that might not be understandable and something we know is bullshit but feels good. Hmm. Astrology, same thing. Mm-hmm. We know yeah. it's false. <laughs> but the, the, thing that, the thing that jumped out at me about her note was that juxtaposition between reason and wonder, which is one of these persistent American things that I don't get at all. And I'm American. Mm-hmm. Since when does not knowing equal being fulfilled about something? If you know something that's really amazing, isn't that more amazing than suspecting that there's something amazing out there and not knowing what it is? Quantum physics, holy shit, <laughs> so much more interesting than what people used to think was there. Mm-hmm. Like ether and phlogiston and shit like that. Of course, part of the, the thing with quantum mechanics is we have this beautiful math that explains mm-hmm. a whole lot of behavior that's observable. We have no idea what it means. There's like four or five, at least, different schools of thought about just interpreting what quantum mechanics is trying to tell us and what that reveals about the universe. And some of them are very different from each other. Yeah, there's arguments over meaning, but those fields have gotten narrowed from the early 20th century when there were more. Mm -hmm. Because quantum mechanics is more experimentally verified than the theory of gravity. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Which is wild to think about because it's one of the things we understand the implications of the least, but the predictions it makes are more verifiable than any other branch of science. Plenty of mystery to go around. And knowing how something works, uh, evolutionary biology, for example, there's a field where the theory is so well confirmed that the mysteries basically lie in the corners. You know, it's mm-hmm. how, how, how this little mechanism evolved and how, how these two mechanisms mm-hmm. seem to depend on each other, but we know that one must have anteceded the other. Right. They're little mysteries in the corners, but there's an existential thing where you look at what is essentially a very simple statement. That which survives, survives. Mm-hmm. And you expl- mm-hmm. and it explains the entirety of life, mm-hmm. particularly of life's diversity. That's incredible. Yeah. You know, the, the amount of wonder inherent in that is far more interesting than, you were born in August, therefore you <laughs> like to be the center of attention. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's a, it's a category mistake that people tend to make because w- people tend to think if they know something, it must not be remarkable. Mm-hmm. I think that I comes think from magic. Wrong. I think it comes from, from stage magic, where the, the sense of wonder comes from not knowing how the trick is performed, and the trick turns out to be a much more mundane when you actually see mm-hmm. it explained to you than what you expected that the guy was actually doing. Mm-hmm. But and it, there's probably an, an evolutionary basis for it. Is if you know if the novel is what grabs our attention because we can't afford to focus on any on everything at once. Right. But you know it's it's a it's a stage magician's trick, I think, a mental trick to swap out wonder at discovery with wonder at mystery. I think mm-hmm. wonder at mystery is inherently nihilistic, where wonder at discovery is very wonderful. Yeah. And that discovery can be interpersonal or intrapersonal as much as it can be empirical. Yeah, certainly. I mean, there there are so many <laughs> mysteries that still remain about what consciousness is, how consciousness works, mm-hmm. um, what its implications are for matter and the human condition and well, the but th- destiny let me ask you, of mankind and what have you. <laughs> all right, but let me let me ask you this: when we find out what what the answers to the questions around consciousness are. And we will, unless you're one of the new Mysterians, but they have other problems. So, assuming this one school, one philosophical school of thought is wrong, and we do, we find out what consciousness is and how it works. Is it suddenly less remarkable? Will, will it suddenly not be an interesting theological question anymore, for example? No, because, well, among other things, it'll be the question of where it came from mm-hmm. and how it got set up. But, but what I'm trying to point out is that what you're doing is you're moving the goalposts of the interesting theological <laughs> questions. As, mm. you know, it's, um, as we've discovered things, it's, it's the old, um, the old and, and as, a, as a naturalist, I'm, I'm going to invoke the old naturalist creed because I think <laughs> it's a reductio ad absurdum. But, you know, Zeus used to make the thunder. 
Mm-hmm. Then we found out about <laughs> lightning. <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. uh, Yahweh used to make the earthquakes to destroy the bad people. Now mm-hmm. we know about plate tectonics. And so God doesn't do any of this stuff anymore. He doesn't, you know, he's out of a job in that department. <laughs> if you view God as an, expla- as an explanatory apparatus, mm-hmm. you're doomed to lose God eventually. Right. Hmm. If your view of God is something else, it's harder to articulate, but some people do make valiant attempts. Mm-hmm. But say, okay, you're a biologist. Mm-hmm. You know the mechanistic ex- explanation for the development of life, and you're familiar with many of the mechanistic hypotheses for the origin of life, mm-hmm. and you're living in a time when those hypotheses are being tested in the lab by artificial means. Some of them are, yeah. And so does that somehow make you less of a believer? Because you know how it happened. No. <laughs> so it, does it make you feel less awe and wonder at the experience of being in the world? No, if anything, I'm continually impressed by the profound elegance of the system. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had this conversation with some of my Christian friends who have difficulties mm-hmm. with evolution. It's like, can you imagine a more elegant way for God to set up life to be able to survive anything that could be thrown at it in an imperfect universe? <laughs> I mean, it's gorgeous. And... Yeah. You know, if it if it didn't exist, if evolution didn't happen, we never would have made it to where we are now. Mm-hmm. The the whole idea of a worldview that requires God to constantly be reaching in and fiddling with the system <laughs> in order to keep it working, to my mind, implies a, a pretty small minded view of God's craftsmanship. Yeah, isn't it cooler for him to set something up that keeps working by itself? Mm-hmm. But but that's what I'm pointing out is that mm-hmm. just it, it's so automatic to the American way mm-hmm. of thinking. It is. You're that, right. You know, if if it's explained, it must not be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I know how love works biochemically. I still <laughs> fall in love. The fact that <laughs> yeah. you can say, "Oh, my oxytocin, uh, norepinephrine, and vasopressin levels are all being fucked with right now." Woo. How fascinating <laughs> is that? Doesn't change the fact that I can look at the person I'm in love with and go, "Oh boy." Well, it's like, you know, it's the difference between the colors of a sunset being described in terms of the wavelengths of light that are hitting your retinas Mm -hmm. versus the qualia of the experience. Mm -hmm. Now, see, and as a materialist and as an atheist, I think assigning qualia a spiritual significance is a category mistake. Mm -hmm. But by the same token, I do not think knowing the mechanisms by which the experience manifests itself robs the experience of value or wonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back, back to a very basic level of language. I like knowing things. <laughs> I, I like to know how things work. <laughs> Doesn't make them any less cool. All right. We got Whew. way off track on that one, but it was an interesting discussion. That's the kind of stuff people tune into the shows for. Yay. Exactly. That's, this is why our feedback shows are the best. <laughs> Score. I still have Imagine more of this the letter. Ego Damn. Is running around the room. I know. Oh, yes. Yes. And I do not exempt myself from that analysis. Well, I would hope not. Jeez. Don't think anybody here does. It's okay. Hey, my characters claim they're God. Yes. Some of your characters actually are gods. Yes. Score. Okay. Uh, nowadays, we're pretty firmly ensconced in a tech reason science swing, but I think it's pretty obvious that there's a lot of people who aren't happy about that. Never mind the whole intelligent design slash evolution thing. There's a lot of people out there who firmly believe that all science, all progress, and those who practice in its arts are evil. Seriously, try listening to some of the tapes extreme fundamentalists put out sometimes. Scary, yes, or, but equally or the scared. Primitivists, which are even scarier. Uh, I'd rather oh, yeah. not, actually. <laughs> yeah, the neo-primitivists are far more scary in terms of the implications of their ideas, mm-hmm. which basically boil down to let's kill nine out of every ten people on the planet so that the rest of us can live like Neanderthals. Mm-hmm. And for anyone, who how does that work? Oh. Never mind. <laughs> if, if, tech, if, if, techn- if technology is evil, you want to mm-hmm. get rid of technological society, but in order to do that, you have to kill somewhere between 9 and 9.5 huh. out of every 10 people on the planet, because without civilization, trade, and technological practices for growing and managing food, you don't have a carrying capacity on the planet large enough to support more than, what is it, about uh, 600 million people? Hmm. About that. I think a billion is the number I've heard, depending upon how they're... they're- 
Well, their around. logic is sound, even if it is frightening implications. Mm. <laughs> yeah, most of them don't carry the logic to its natural mm. conclusion. Mm. They just like the to talk about it. They everybody wants to live in their their Pandora world. Oh yeah. Oh and, god, I was uh, gonna wonder. I was wondering if you were gonna bring up Avatar. Mm-hmm. Worst oh no. Movie ever. I won't go that far. Okay, not I, worst movie ever, but oh yeah. my god, people, really, it's beating Titanic. Oh really? God! Come on! Scary. Yeah. Star Wars was a better movie. That's what's scary. <laughs> I think it it tapped into a lot of the same mythopoetic oh, yeah. resonance as Star Absolutely. Wars. There are some things about it that I agree with you are intellectually deplorable. There are other morally thi- deplorable and morally Ooh. deplorable. There are other things about it that I can look at it and I can say this was very well done in these respects and I was able to enjoy it in spite of the fact that the little critic in the back of my mind in my little Cartesian theater was sitting there going, oh, come on. (laughs) I had the same reaction to Triumph of the Will, Mm. which was a beautifully filmed movie, Hmm. one of the most amazingly done films in any sort of technical or artistic sense in the history of filmmaking, and was a propaganda documentary about Nazism. Mm-hmm. Huh. You know, I Interesting. Can, can separate those two, but I mean, if Triumph of the Will was at the box office, I would not, and it was the 30s, I would not be recommending mm. people go see it. Mm. <laughs> I know, right? Wait until we kill them all and we know that they're full of shit. Yeah. And appreciate the aesthetics in the same way that we appreciate the aesthetics of Mayan temples and Aztec temples. <laughs> Wonderful architecture, but I would not go there as a tourist and pay money to while the sacrifices were going on. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah. Boy, I had a lot of caffeine today. Score. <laughs> I understand. Oh, she continues. Of course she does. (laughs) There's a real fear that some fundamental part of who we are is getting lost in the race to explain it. I'm not saying that's true or false or progress or regress. It just kind of is. And I find it a little depressing that we can't agree on a happy medium. They sigh. (laughs) Unfortunately, we're talking about two worldviews that are fundamentally at odds with each other. Mm -hmm. But the lovely thing is that things like this do tend to shake them out as people fight over them. rather than Hmm. You you can't have someone come in and say, this is the right answer. We will all now live in peace, having agreed on the basic philosophy. Right. (laughs) Top-down management doesn't work, but, you know, bottom-up, you know, we fight over it and we come, you know. We come to some agreement up until the point where the people who realized it was bullshit die off. You know, we had the whole theosophy and spiritualist movement around the turn of the last century. Mm-hmm. And now we're going through the same bullshit again. So. It's, it's an easy way of appealing to the same sorts of things that genuine discovery and exploration appeal to. But it requires less work. And mm-hmm. Because it's it's built along what makes intuitive sense, uh, magic is intuitively sensible, mm-hmm. then it seems obviously true. And it's not an easy thing to say, it seems obviously true, but I have learned to distrust things that look obviously true. Right. That's that's a really weird thing that, that humans have learned to do and keep forgetting and keep learning, <laughs> is that... I have to teach it to every new physics class. (laughs) What we see and what we infer is most of the time wrong. Mm -hmm. And if it fooled a guy as brainy and thoughtful as Aristotle, don't feel so bad. Or Isaac Newton. Isaac Isaac Newton wrote way more on alchemy than he ever did on gravity or mathematics. Uh-huh. Score! His, his books on obscure alchemical theology way outranked the Principia Mathematica. <laughs> and the Principia is still quoted. That's really funny, actually. It's so good <laughs> that we still plot orbits of spaceships with it. Damn. Whereas the stuff he put all his energy into... None of that's worth the paper it was printed on. Oh, well. At least he accidentally got some of it right. No, he didn't accidentally get well. it right. He just, he was using a very powerful brain. and um, But, you know, that side, it was kind of an aside reasoning thing. From, reasoning flawed premises. Reasoning from flawed premises uh, in a domain that didn't allow him to re-examine his premises. When he was dealing with physics and mathematics, there's built-in error-checking protocols in there, and so mm. he could he could sort of fail his way towards the right answer. <laughs> um, or other people could check his work. But when you're dealing with alchemy, you can't really check your work. Yeah. No, it's just funny that that's what he put all of his energy into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Ooh. 
Okay, enough general discussion. A question. And that was good, general discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Fueled quite a lot of it. I know, right? Indeed. I get that Metamor is an empire ruled by a god slash empress slash ge- geographic feature, but is that <laughs> it? Is there a parliament, local governments, elections, appointments, neotism, parties? Nepotism. Nepotism. Campaign slogans? Gerrymandering? (laughs) (laughs) Inquiring minds want to know. Also, where do I sign up to vote purple? And do I get a free (laughs) cup of coffee for doing so? I would vote purple for a free cup of coffee. (laughs) Mm, Purple. (laughs) (laughs) Snuggles! Patty Heaney. <laughs> Thank you very much for the very thoughtful feedback, Patty. And, and welcome back around. We've missed you. Yes, <laughs> and we missed your goodies, so we're very Ooh. grateful for those as well. Oh, did she send those? She sent those. Oh. We have been noshing on your, you. your fudge, which Kitty declares to be the greatest thing in the universe, and then various other goodies, so we are glad that the post office did not declare your, your package to oh. be a terrorist threat, although it was close. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, seal that container of cocoa mix a little tighter, Patty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, as for the governmental structure of Metamore, in brief, the full name of it is the Imperial Union of Metamore and Allied Nations. Um, what you have is a collection of semi-independent states that all acknowledge the Majestrix, Kaya, as the ruler, as the sovereign head of state. Within each of those provinces, they have their own governmental systems, which differ from province to province. Most of them have a person who is a, an appointed governor designated by Kaya, and then they have a democratically elected legislature of some kind, which may be split into one part or two parts, depending upon the province. There are also uh, three viceroyalties, which are places that were brought into the empire by treaty, that are ruled by more monarchical-slash-benevolent despotism uh, to varying degrees. And basically, they are allowed to govern themselves as they see fit, as long as they subscribe to Kaya's basic list of human rights that everybody has, or I should say mortal rights, and they can't keep anyone from leaving if they want to leave and go to a different province. So that is a natural check on anybody getting too power-mad in those places. The metropole of Metamore itself is ruled by the Senate, which has a speaker who is the the highest elected official, and the Senate is divided into a hundred lords' seats, which are elected from among the nobility by the nobility, and then I think there's something like 300 or 400 seats that are chosen by the common folk. Okay. Cool. From Feline. Hey, Feline. Hello again, Chris. I know I told you on Facebook already, but I really wanted you to know that I enjoyed your Erotica a la carte episode a lot. Thank you. I especially Ooh. liked the way you used music as a medium for magic in your story. It reminded me a lot of the origin story of Middle Earth. Personally, I've always liked the part where the Earth is created through song more than anything else in the whole Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. Me too. It's just such a beautiful image, and I'm glad to see it used so beautifully by one of my favorite authors. Don't get me wrong, though. Even as it reminded me a lot of Tolkien, it didn't feel <coughs> unimaginative or stolen. The other thing I liked about tears such as Angels Weep are the angels. Angels have always fascinated me, not to a point where I read a lot about them. I merely enjoy them as an idea or archetype to think and dream about. So you managed to combine two of my favorite ideas beautifully, so much so that I almost didn't care about the sex part of the story, which was very well written too, in favor of the song and the magic of the angels' experiences and memories. Thank you for letting Pip talk you into using her kitchen. This was great. All the best from a very gray and cold and rainy, sleety, dull Vienna, Austria, Feline, who can't wait for spring and is a bit envious of your Californian weather, which is probably nice and warm. (laughs) It was until today. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Feline. Silmarillion was one of the two main sources of inspiration for that idea. The other one is a role-playing game called In Nomine, in which the players take on the role of angels or demons working for different choirs or bands under the authority of different archangels or archdevils. I'll have to play that one. Mm -hmm. Neat. And they use uh, use song 
as the magic metaphor in those as well. Neat. Okay, my turn? Yes. <laughs> okay, this one's from Ryan Baker. Chris, in my last feedback, I told you that you were a tease. Episode 45 confirmed that statement. I got on <laughs> Facebook before turning in for the night and noticed that your status said something about mixing episode 45. So having waited several weeks, knowing that the... Uh, I have such trouble with this word. Leonenshi. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wouldn't be happy with Abby for her attempts at ending the Im imprisonment of Rosanna, I decided to stay up and wait for it to be posted. Then I downloaded a aforementioned episode and settled back to listen to what I hoped would turn into an epic fight scene. <laughs> <laughs> when it got to the point where Janus stepped forward with his holy sword, my mind flashed back to what you said in the launch cast about seeing just how badass Janus truly was sometime in the near future. So I turned up the volume, not wanting to miss a single word of the awesome fight scene that I was sure to follow. <laughs> yeah, you are a tease. <laughs> Hanging that tantalizing fight scene out there like a woman does with a hug on the first date. <laughs> and then you just ripped it away. You didn't go the 10 to your listeners 90. <laughs> Now I have to wow. come back. Ooh. Now I have to come back for a second date and possibly more before I get to find out what happens when you go the other 10. <laughs> In all due seriousness, I must say that the way you ended it, it made sense. It was realistic and it wasn't fan service. Now my only problem is that even though I usually hate fan service, I want to see Janus go into full fight bore. <laughs> I want to see Artax pull out all the stops, but I probably won't get to see it. Uh, no, getting... but you'll get to see the after effects of when, when uh, Artax puts the full might of his sorceress know-how into action. You will see what kinds of things he's capable of doing. Well, you will not, you'll, as I said, you'll see what happens after. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is getting kind of long, but I'd just like to tell you how I got into Metamore City. <coughs> Last fall, I took a body conditioning class for school, and as weightlifting is kind of monotonous, I downloaded a bunch of stuff onto my iPod to listen to it over the course of the semester. I gave a bunch of patio books a try, listening to the first two episodes before deciding if I wanted to listen to them. You had me with your welcome to the city episode. Aww, After thank that. You. Oh, after that, I listened to it every chance I got so that I could catch up. Your story is better than most of the published literature out there. Wow. And I can honestly say that Making the Cut is one of the few patio novels that I've listened to that I'd be willing to buy just so that I could have a print copy to reread every once in a while. <laughs> Aw. Good work. You've kept me listening to your podcast more faithfully than I have to any other. Ryan Baker, Utah. Thank you very much, Ryan. I'm so glad that you're enjoying the series so much. Sorry that you felt teased, but <laughs> as you probably know by now, having listened to my stories, I tend to see violence usually as not really the answer to human conflicts. Um, usually, it, sometimes it's necessary, but it usually tends to create as many problems as it solves. Sometimes those problems are easier to deal with later, or you have to use the violence in the short term, but usually it's because somebody screwed up the nonviolent solutions earlier well, on. Days, you and I are going to have to do a, <laughs> a podcast arguing about violence. Score. Mm. be interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would listen to that one. <laughs> that would be interesting. I'm sure that you'll come up with a very persuasive argument in favor of the yes. bloodthirsty view of history. But... Yeah, one of the reasons that it'll be fun. <laughs> because you have no idea what I'll say. This yes. is true. This is true. Oh, and yes, you will get to see Janus unleash his badassery by the end of this season. I promise. Ooh. Okay, so uh, more feedback on Erotic Alicart. Cool. From Mildred. Yay, Mildred! Okay, you asked for it, Mr. Lester. <laughs> this was a very good story, well put together and sexy as all hell. And as I told you on Twitter, it struck a chord with me. Musical pun still not intended. <laughs> So, should I? This is pretty personal. Should I read this? She told me that she was rewrite. Uh, she was phrasing it in such a way that she would be comfortable sharing it with everybody. 
So. So you asked why it struck a chord with me, so here goes. Submission can be such a difficult thing to face, particularly in our current society, we're told that we have to be strong, self-reliant, and unique individuals. To give all that up, even if it's something you need on a deep level, can be incredibly hard to accept. And correct me if I'm wrong, but your angel has an even harder time coping with that need made evident in his own admission that he turned for that completion from the moment he left the choir, because he felt like he never had the choice to submit before the angelic fall. For that's the rub. It cannot be true submission if the submissive is never given a choice. Right. The fact that Serafina asked for his surrender this time makes me wonder that if, before the fall, it was just taken for granted amongst your celestial choir that all would sing their parts with no objection. The fact that she asks also shows just how much she learned from that mistake. Mm. In addition, I appreciate that you showed a delicate balance of the DS relationship where neither partner is quite complete, the melody unfulfilled and broken, until Serafina asks for his submission, and Al, I'm not sure how to spell his full name, accepts the choice, that part of him, and gives it. There it is. Have fun, you too, Dan and Kitty, since I'm pretty sure that you're with Chris for this feedback episode, and mm. stay safe. Well, I'm here. Kitty. Yeah. Yay. Oh. Thank you very much, Millie. And uh, yeah, you're, I think you hit the nail on the head. Submission is a terrifying thing. And even when you need that sense of surrender to someone else in order to feel completed, it still is a scary thing. Because it's like the analogy that Al uses in the story of being held out over a cliff thrilling yes but how do i know you're not going to drop me and mm. uh yeah i wanted to show that both of them were unfulfilled and missing something until they were back together again mm. and uh yeah it was uh it was an interesting story for me to write getting inside that kind of a relationship and trying to show the mixed feelings of longing and bitterness that went with Alastor's position. Score. <laughs> okay, I read now. <laughs> uh, long-time listener here, Nigel Thompson. I only discovered your work after making the cut had already been completed. Grateful for that. I was able to listen to the entire podcast from beginning to end, from those first short stories to the entire making the cut and all of those fun, interesting conversations. What moved me to write was the conclusion to Whispers in the Wind. Whispers in the Wood. <laughs> Whispers in the Wood. I meant that the metamors in your work are always so multi-layered and multifaceted, and there always seem to be the least part that reflects back to your own writing process. Uh, specifically, what I mean is the role of pathos in your writing. This story was a meditation on pain and joy in the art and in human con uh, connection. And I feel that your writing is used in the same way that the music was used in this story, to exercise ghosts, to unite and connect people through shared pain and through embracing and celebrating joy. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. And also, you write happy very well. Uh -huh. And the joy at the end of the story was actually very moving to me. Oddly, that joy was part, or was the part that brought tears to my eyes. Aw. When Abby invited him to her home, I found it touching. I know that is a function of your writer's art and not just the simple plot development. Well, this has been a long one. Thanks so much for your work, and I hope to have the good fortune to hear much, much more of it. Gods, if you write this well now, how will it be in 15 or 20 years from now? Ah, happy thoughts, Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Nigel. I really like what you said about the story mirroring the writing process because mm. that was has definitely been the case for me in a lot of situations i'll look back on the stories that i'm writing and realize that subconsciously i've been using them to exercise my own demons and to work through the the situations that i'm going through in my own life at the time i wouldn't know anything about that oh no <laughs> not at all mr down from 10 <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it. it's part of why I write. I mean, yeah, I like sharing stories with people, but uh, the stories that I choose to share, I'm, I'm using them f to get my own shit together here. <laughs> Which is great as long as you remain a storyteller and don't become Toni Morrison, mm. who basically just publishes her therapy journals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, what's next? Okay, uh, from Paul, Whispers in the Wood. I just finished the final episode of Whispers in the Wood. Thank you! I've been missing Metamore City. It's such a rich world, so full of story possibilities. It's a pleasure once again to have this enriching my podcast feed. Much as I enjoyed this overall, though, I have to give some negative feedback concerning Deirdre Reed's reading of Rosanna Venturi. Her accent kept wobbling between Italian and Irish, with an occasional overtone of what sounded like Hungarian or Transylvanian (laughs) Its inconsistency was distracting, drawing more attention away from the story. It can be difficult for an actor to consistently maintain an assumed accent, and I give Ms. Reed credit for trying, but the result just didn't cut it. This was, I think, a situation of a performer reaching a bit too far. In the final analysis, it would have made for a better effect overall if she had just not gone for an accent at all. We're used to Metamore being a melting pot, after all, and even if the character of Emilio Venturi was intended to evoke an Italian, there is no reason that his wife had to be. Hmm. Besides that, using our world foreign accents is just a metaphor for another world anyway. Thanks again for your efforts and that of your voice actors, regardless. One criticism does not negate that Metamore City is consistently among my top five favorites for podcast fiction. I look forward to whatever is to come. Yeah. Hey. Thanks, Paul. Um, yeah, if you thought that uh, Dee had some trouble with that accent, you should have heard me when I was narrating that chapter. <laughs> Dear God, I got through about two lines, and it's like, okay, this is just... I had to apologize to Paulette because what I was giving her was so atrocious sounding. <laughs> Italian accent is harder than it seems. Oh, yes. Well, it's because it settles on a line between about four different accents that are all easier to do. Yes. Holy crap. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's what we're seeing when uh, in the results that Dee gave me. But I thank Dee so much for making the effort when I put out the request for somebody to do uh, an Italian accent for me. She and her husband Nobilis are the only ones who stepped up to do it. Hmm. And so, yeah, could it have been better if I'd had more time to to work with her on it? Yeah, I didn't want to slow down my production schedule though, hmm. because I I think that getting out stories consistently is more important than getting them out perfectly. That's just my creative choice. Others have different opinions on the the matter. So I'm glad you enjoyed the story, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to do a George Lucas special on it at some point and fix it in post. (laughs) Score! (laughs) Too bad he can't fix his scripts in post. I know, right? If only we could get back all of the takes that ended up on the cutting room floor. Okay, so I have one from Ashley Carlson. She goes, hello there, sir. I just started listening to Metamore City hmm, about a week ago. To say the least, I'm in love. It's an amazing little escapist fantasy. There's only one thing I'm displeased about. There's certainly no dearth of homosexual or girl-on-girl action. However, there's no guy-on-guy action. (laughs) Here we go again. It's been over a year and you're still getting hammered for this one, Chris. I guess. It's never going to go away. Well, new people keep finding the show. Oh, there you go. As far as making the cut, Chapter 12. Now I realize that this isn't about sex, 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 but I think it's pleasantly dispersed throughout the (laughs) storyline. I feel this is fairly progressive thinking podcast, but it falls right into mainstream views about hetero and, oh my god, lesbian sex, and ew, boy-on-boy action. (laughs) Oh god. I'm sorry, I'm a product of my culture. Oh god. (laughs) I'm working on it. (laughs) This comes from a young gal who's mostly interested in the first two. Though I have to admit, queer as folk really turned my crank. <laughs> if you're I a never girl, saw do you that. have a crank? I have to. Possibly. I don't know. Just a metaphorical one rather than a mm-hmm. physical one? Maybe it would be pushing her button. There you go. Mm. <laughs> I like the turning my crank metaphor better, though. <laughs> well, it's especially funny if you're a girl and you use that one. True. <laughs> However, being there's such a lack of it, or such a lack, it reminds me of the ridiculous world we live in, (laughs) where guys and girls are expected to be into each other, and it's 
oh my god, fucking hot if a girl fucks another girl, as long as she's not a dyke, right? But heaven forbid a guy wants to, to stick his ahem, penis into another guy. <laughs> you know, emails like this, emails right like this just make me think, oh god. wow, San Francisco really is another world. It, it really is. is. <laughs> It I know, really I forget. I've been here so long that I forget. You know? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> that I go on vacation somewhere For and I'm reals. like, where do they keep these people? I and know. it's not that I don't like them, it's just that they're so, so different. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, wait, 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 it's it's like an alien planet. <laughs> I know. Oh, and of course, I'm sure that people have the same experience coming here. <laughs> oh, yes. In fact, I can't imagine them not, because we are the weirdest fucking place on the planet, aside yeah. from, like, maybe Shanghai or Hong Kong. I don't know. Or Tokyo. Yeah. Tokyo is pretty weird. Oh. Um, some parts of Thailand. Yeah. But but we're one of those like if if you put all the weird places on the planet we'd be one of the brighter stars mm-hmm. in the constellation. Along with New yes. Orleans, New or- oh my mm. god, New Orleans. Yes, yeah. <laughs> there is a place with some fun history. Jeez, mm-hmm. I love this girl to death though. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, you've mentioned Polly, which is awesome, but not in the terms of guy, not in terms of guys loving guys. It's one guy to a breeding cell. FFS. And his harem of women. May I recommend <laughs> listening to previous feedback shows? Yeah, I know, right? Oh. I think we we went for two hours on this topic once. We nice. did. I'm sorry, I missed that. Well, you have Check to the listen feed. to the I know, feedback right? shows. I think it was a feedback show. What four, three or four? We maybe. Did that? Yeah, oh, nice. it was the first one we did together. Okay. So I'm not sure. Cool. Yeah. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised about this in future episodes. Part of me doubts it. <laughs> oh, honey, email me. I have enough gay stories to last you a lifetime. <laughs> and what is that email address? Ooh, ooh, ooh! I'll Spammers, give you the. prepare your. I know, right? <laughs> Genevieve seven at live dot com. Okay. We'll we'll throw that one out there because it has the Genevieve seven title there. There you go. I just wanted to put that out there. Hopefully I'm not the only one who said this. <laughs> Apparently you're not. <laughs> no. This is an old complaint. Yes. Yes. I um, really do. Oh, I really do adore this podcast. I'm not going to stop listening to it, but I just wanted to point out my dislike of that factor. Sorry if I've gone on too long about this. <laughs> not compared to some of our previous features. <laughs> wow. Really? Yes. Damn. I think between them, Patty Heaney and uh, Abby Hilton wrote me a was book Ab- on this. Was, wow. was Abby Hilton the one? I thought I it, think, was, yeah. it was someone. Her, it was someone whose name started with A, but I didn't remember it being Abby Hilton. Mm, I thought Abby Might was the Abby. one. I think because when I went up for Oricon, I think we we talked ah, about. Ah, okay. Her. Well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, so as I have mentioned before, uh, there are more gay characters in season two, uh, who are actually gay men, gay men or bisexual men. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm working on this, as I said, product of my culture. <laughs> yeah. It took me a while to get comfortable writing about it. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, as you catch up, you can always come over to my feed where you'll find characters like Volish. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh. Volish. He is a laugh Volish. riot. Oh, big, big deal in book two as well. Mm, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> cool. Because he is, he's a fun character I to follow around. I love Volish. Yeah. I think everybody loves Volish. <laughs> Some people don't. I got really? one, I got one email complaining said, or one review that said it was great until the guy with the English accent showed up. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, huh? <laughs> but oh well. Yeah, can't please everyone. Mm-hmm. Nope. Okay, she goes, "Also, I just went to the curse.org and there's a main screen, but no enter button or anything. It's a dead end. Sad." Should be fixed now. Check for the sign-in button at the top of the screen. Ooh. I just checked it the other day. Anyways, I'm going to flit off now. Reply or not, either way, thanks for creating this lovely little world, Ash. Oh, thank Aww, you, Ashley. She's adorable. Yeah, I, I knew cool. you would like that email. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one thing. Preferences are preferences, and you can't force everybody to write everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you're looking for the boy stuff... Go and find an author who's really into the boy stuff. Right. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's one of those things. It, me writing about uh, boy erotica would be like me writing about oh, I don't know, Tom Clancy technical thrillers. I mean, it's just it's not an interest of yep. mine. You like the boy stories? Come over to my side of the internet. <laughs> we likes them too. You like stuff that's a little weirder than that? Come over to my side. Score. I will. I will be over there. But uh, seriously, though, we did uh, wind up doing two or three very long and heavy discussions on this topic. So um, We shall not belabor the point We shall now. not yeah. belabor the point, but there are entertaining things earlier in the feed, and it's worth going back and listening. Yes. From Stephen from Seattle, Washington. Hi, Steve. Lester, 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 <laughs> what am I going to do with you? Does it involve money? I would Ooh. use the damn you, Lester, but I guess that's taken. Does it involve sex? Oh. <laughs> Go back to your Sorry. side of the internet. <laughs> I've been listening to podcasts, podcast novels, and audiobooks all day at work for over a year now. Metamore City is one of those on top of the list. I still remember the promo for Huntress and thinking, how do you spell Metamore? <laughs> the problem is either your writing or Abby's character, or maybe it's Jenny. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it has happened twice now, and it cannot continue. It is unsightly. At the end of Troubled Minds and now Whispers in the Wood, I was so emotional I was crying like a baby. This has to stop. I can't go on hiding every time there's an ending chapter involving Abigail Elaine Preston. Seriously. (laughs) He asked you if you were given permission to raise the bar. Well, put it back, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Love the work you do and the cast and crew, too. Oh, what a sweetheart. Thanks. I'm going to squee now because I was mentioned in that. Yeah. Yay! You can't blame Genevieve for for the end of Troubled Minds, though, <laughs> because Heather was playing yeah. her in that. And how was that for you, coming in and playing a character that had already been played before? It was interesting. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't done much work voice acting at all, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it was cool. Did you like listen to the previous performances of the character to get a sense of her before you jumped in? Yeah, I listened to. Um, I started. Li- or I was listening to one of the shorter stories okay. before, which was cool, which had a lot of the history and stuff in it. Okay. So that was neat, and just to hear how she did it too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next one. Okay, this one is from Barbara. Ooh, after Whispers in the Wood Part One, a uh, Chris. It was awesome. I was driving while listening to this episode and actually stopped the car to the side of the road to finish because I wanted to be able to focus all my senses on the story. Aww. Aww. Felt it in the tips of my fingers and toes. You truly are a talent, my friend. Would it be okay for me to give you a wee bit of constructive criticism here, though? Always. Behind the description of Threnody's melody in the theater, we hear a violin playing. However, your description of the purity of the tone and the intricacy of the melody does not at all fit the violin we hear. No insult to whomever gave you this sample. It simply is impossible to meet the high demands of your description of the supernatural violin. (laughs) That's true. And that's something that I thought about when I created it, but... Hmm. uh... Yeah, maybe you can consider a more abstract orchestral sound. <laughs> or you could get, get some uh, stock music from Yo-Yo Ma or whatnot. Mm. Mm. It's, stock isn't very expensive. True, true. The trick was finding something sad enough that it would fit mm. the what I was trying to do. There's really an astonishing dearth of dirges and threnodies out there in the free music Oh, hmm. markets at least. Well, that's why I recommended stock. You can get yeah. some glorious renditions of Requiem and other things. Mm. You look for funeral masses. Mm. There's a whole genre in the Baroque and classical <gasps> period. That's possible. Damn. Oh, the rest of that. Maybe you can consider a more abstract orchestral sound scrape in a possible future remastering for this scene? <laughs> Fix it in post! <laughs> Again. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Nonetheless, I was in awe. Keep it up, Chris. Now, please excuse me. I just saw that episode three has dropped. Me and my iPod need some personal time here. Woo, woo. <laughs> sex, 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 and all those things about us. <laughs> Particularly cool. with some of the accessories available for the iPod. Oh, <laughs> man. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, geez. 
Okay, hook up one it. of those with erotica a la carte. There you go. <laughs> you tune it to the to about three hundred hertz, which is where the sweet spot in Pip's voice is. Ooh, Ooh nice. <laughs> Every I time heard about she that hits one. that prime. <laughs> Ooh. Damn. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, so that the violin, by the way, was provided by PC Herring, and thank you very much to PC for doing it for me. Indeed. Uh, along with all mm-hmm. of the little twinges and little sound effects of Threnody voicing her displeasure at different Aww. points through the series. That was all, all provided by, by PC. Cool. cool. From Night Scream. I, that... By the way, that is just a completely badass name. Uh, seems like it should be a Decepticon or yeah, something. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like an Insomniac Transformer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, regarding Whispers in the Wood. This was a beautiful tale, Chris. As always, it invoked a lot of emotional responses, but mostly tears. Aww. This is a particularly sad story, although it had a relatively happy ending for most involved. I have a question, though. I know you've frequently traveled to other states for cons and such, but will you be going to our local con here in Southern California? You know, the granddaddy of all cons, Comic-Con San Diego. (gasps) If so, are you doing a panel or joining as a guest? Comic-Con is not... I'm sorry, that's the end of the email. Comic-Con is not the granddaddy of all cons. <laughs> that would have to be Gen Con, wouldn't it? Maybe. Yeah, cons yeah but have it been is the big one. Long time before <laughs> Comic-Con was even a twinkle in the financier's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... I don't come to Comic-Con because it's really more about the spectacle and the... Well, it's a, it's a vendor-centric con. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not really about the kind of stuff that I go to cons for, mm-hmm. which is to meet with friends and geek out about topics that I enjoy talking about and meeting fans. Comic-Con, there are way more important people for people to be meeting than me. And uh, I don't really want to deal with being crammed into a hotel with the population of a small city. Um, (laughs) That just has no interest for me. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's almost as bad as being crammed into a city with the population of a small hotel. Hmm. That's what 28 Days Later was like then. Oh. (laughs) That's right, huh? (laughs) God, I love that movie. (laughs) Cool. Oh, I just have a short one. Okay. Okay. All right, this is from Winged Squirrel. Hey, I missed the old Metamore City disclaimer that explained exactly what was in each episode. Now, I don't mind anything you mention in the disclaimers, but having the specific disclaimers is helpful if I'm playing the podcast on speakers and there are others around. (laughs) Anything you can do about this? JP. Oh, P.S. I just noticed an identical disclaimer on Antithesis. Is there a podcasting disclaimer conspiracy or something? <laughs> P.P.S. <laughs> did you steal the disclaimer from me? I did. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, I I modeled my season two intro on the intros for Antithesis and Down from Ten uh-huh. because I really liked the way that those were put together. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and, you know, I just found it... It was getting annoying going through every single chapter, combing mm. for any sign of, okay, what could po- people be offended by in this yeah. episode? I imagine that's difficult if you haven't just ideas. written it. Some people will find them offensive. I know, yeah, right? Seriously. <laughs> if you need to ask whether you will be offended, you probably will. Uh, so, I don't know. I may be able to put specific advisories into the the show notes, but uh, I always put them in my um, in my tags. Mm. In, uh, Ooh! Oh, then you can in, go by in, what in the iTunes <laughs> in the iTunes tags and the blogging tags. I do lots of snarky little things, nice, <laughs> and including generally what kind of offensive content there is. I like that. That's an then you can search idea. it by offensiveness. That's right. That's so cool. So like every episode that contains sex has a sex tag. Yes. So in the tag cloud, sex shows up really big. <laughs> you click on sex every episode where people either talk about or have sex. So, you know, whatever vice I'm looking for. <laughs> and with Down from 10, it's really useful because it's like a conversations book. So, ah! but, you know, environmentalism, transhumanism. Uh, I believe one of the tags is asshole behavior. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, so yeah. many points. <laughs> I've been using tags, uh, category tags in WordPress to show which characters appear 
in each episode. So if you're mm-hmm. looking for all appearances by, say, Abby, you can click on hers and Ooh. it'll show you just the, the episodes that have Abby in them. That's cool. Oh, yeah. one tiny little thing at the bottom. Post, postscript, awesome podcast, if I haven't said so already. Oh, thank <laughs> you, Winged Squirrel. And Winged mm. Squirrel also provided me with a fave icon for metamorecity.com. So Ooh, now cool. the, the Citadel shows up there in the in the tabs on most browsers. Oh, oh neat. Yeah. I need to figure out how to do one of them things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just, just go to the Wikipedia article on fave icons. It's, okay. It gives a good description of how. Cool. Cool. All right. No voicemails this time. We have to get out of here so that we can give Dan his house back. (laughs) But uh, any final thoughts from our peanut gallery about (laughs) Metamore City Season 2 thus far? This is a complete waste of time. Well, I just have my comment on the Erotica a la carte episode. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a line that says something like, Compared to that, your pathetic monkey sex is about as intimate as living in the same zip code. And I just loved that line. <laughs> that, you know, it's not often people do anything at all original with angels, and I'm kind of over the whole mm. angel thing anyway. <laughs> but really, if you're going to have angels fucking, that's a beautiful line. Nice. <laughs> Thank you very much. The only question I have yes. how do people treat injuries caused by aberrant feathers? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. They're pokey on the ends, and there's soft know, right? tissue involved. They are, but our angels don't have feathers in, in this story. Oh. Yeah, they don't really. Oh, that's right, because they're possessing the right. bodies of the mortals. Yeah, I mean, the angels, do, they don't really even have physical bodies to speak mm. of. So. so you got around the whole duck problem. Oh. Yes, the duck problem. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good way of doing angel sex. Mm. That's cool. Particularly since angels are, by all available references asexual beings yeah <laughs> i had to put them into a, a human host in order to give them the proper biological imperatives <laughs> to uh, start driving them in that direction <laughs> i figured so. that sex and intimacy are not the same thing and so it'd be very possible for angels or angelic spirits to have intimacy of some kind but because intimacy is expressed so powerfully in humans through the use of sexuality. Hmm. It was a natural direction for their uh, desire to express their intimacy with each other to be channeled. And I know where you're going, and (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's a mistranslation. Yeah, it's been bodlerized. It's a lot more explicit in the Hebrew. Right. Nice. But I don't... Number one... I'm not going from that story, which is through many revisions and redactions before it got to us, and God only knows the, the, the what whole, originally whole, meant. No, the idea of angels being sexless comes from Milton. No, it comes Dante. from Jesus when he was talking no, no, to the no. Sadducees, and they were asking him the question about who will so you know this woman be married to, and he says they will be neither you know married about, nor given in marriage. About resurrected will, humans, right? But what he but what he said was they will be like the angels in heaven. And so he said, people, <laughs> flip, flip, they will flip. neither marry nor be given in marriage, for they will be like the angels in heaven. inerrancy then, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, the earliest Hebrew on angels is the, uh, the Nephilim were on earth in those days. Mm. And also afterwards, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. Mm-hmm. No, I like that story. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, uh, Madeline L'Engle made great use of it in the fourth book in her Wrinkle in Time series. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lots of angel fucking. Yeah. Nice. I had in no idea. <laughs> I know, oh, right? My. Yeah, but there's a lot of a lot of ways I've seen that passage interpreted. <laughs> of course, you grew up in a fundamentalist church. <laughs> I did. But uh, one of the most interesting that I've heard was the idea that it was actually a case of possession of mortal bodies, <laughs> which actually doesn't bear out because that you'll find in um, in the conquest of Canaan, the Nephilim are one of the races of giants, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's. Um, 
functions in the in the intertextual dialogue as a an explanation for why these people are giants. It's a mm-hmm. folklore mm-hmm. thing. You see it in a lot of that kind of thing in a lot of folklores where right. people of small stature or limited power are running up against really powerful technologically advanced people. Mm-hmm. The explanation will be, well, the reason they're that way is because an evil god fucked their progenitor. Right. <laughs> and so they're divine, but it's a bad kind of divine. Right. Yeah. That little passage has caused more conniption fits in the uh, the um, theological circles that I used to run in. I love that little passage. <laughs> so, leaving you with angelic, well, is more just more angelic porn. Yeah, hmm. I was going to ask. Did you have any final thoughts or comments? Uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> Leaving her with that pretty image in her head. That she's, I know, right? I know, I'm she's distracted. She's glowing. She's I'm already so distracted. gone on, on Planet Bouncy. So mm-hmm. we'll go ahead and wrap up this show. Um, Dan, where can people find your works? You can find me in usually a marginally less manic mood at www.jdsawyer.net where I'm currently podcasting Down From Ten, which is a country house mystery comedy Thing, mm-hmm. and also Free Will, which is book two in the science fiction thriller series The Antithesis Progression. Ooh. And Genevieve, where can people find your fanfics? Oh, score. Oh, I hang out uh, Genevieve7fanfiction.net. It's <laughs> with a J, not a G. Yes. J E N I V I and seven. The number seven. The number seven. seven. I also have um, Live Journal, Genevieve7.livejournal.com, which is where everything else goes <laughs> cool so if you want to read some hot Yu-Gi-Oh porn yes. you can look up her stuff <laughs> <laughs> totally and where can people find you Ooh. right here in Casa Sawyer <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we don't have that much room man <laughs> I know right <laughs> alright so so you can find me at metamorecity.com that is m-e-t-a-m-o-r city.com or email them to feedback at metamorecity.com you can find me on twitter as ethereus e-t-h-e-r-i-u-s and uh That'll wrap us up. So until next time, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester. Genevieve Seven. And J. Daniel Sawyer. Signing out. Yay!